Hi everybody, a really warm welcome on this cold day to this um, important event with uh, Mustafa Barghouti on Palestine in 2024, what the world should be doing. Uh, absolutely crucial discussion hosted by Labour and Palestine and kindly streamed by Arise, a festival of left ideas. So just to introduce myself, my name is Rachel Garnham. I'm a member of the Labour Party's National Policy Forum. I'm a active trade unionist and long-term supporter of the cause of Palestinian rights. Um, we meet at a vital time, as we all know, for, for all of us interested and dedicated to campaigning for Palestinian rights, never been more important, um, seeing the horrific images coming out daily from Gaza and indeed what is also going on in, in the West Bank. Um, and we also meet at a time of growing solidarity with the Palestinian people internationally, um, like we've never never seen before. And so it's really important that we keep keep demonstrating, but also keep hearing what's going on and keep learning from events like this. Um, all current signs are that the aggressions and human rights abuses, abuses against the people of Palestine are set to continue for months. And we need to step up our campaigning more and more to, to do what we can to stop them. And the policy of the Israeli state is clearly acting against any independent state for Palestine and the Palestinian people's right to self-determination. So we're really delighted to have uh, Mustafa Barghouti join us today for an in-depth briefing on, on what's going on to answer some of your, your key questions on the latest developments. Uh, Mustafa is a Palestinian physician, activist and politician who serves as General Secretary of the Palestinian National Initiative. He has been a member of the Palestinian Legislative Council since 2006 and is also a member of the Palestine Liberation Organization Central Council and we're really lucky to have him here today he's all, all over the media and it'll be really great to hear from him in, in much more detail than he sometimes gets the opportunity so um, without further ado just how it's going to work this evening we'll um, have a very short contribution from um, a Ben, a Labour and Palestine volunteer um, and then um, Mustafa will speak to us. We'll hopefully get a chance to take some questions and also a contribution from um, Hugh Lanning on behalf of Labour in Palestine. So um, I will hand over to Ben to uh, just say a few words before we really get going. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Rachel. Uh, and thanks to everyone who's joined us this evening. Uh, my name is Ben Foley. I'm a supporter and an activist for Labour in Palestine and also a supporter of Arise who's streaming tonight. Um, I'm sure you'll all agree with me that it's a, it's a real privilege to hear from Mr. Baguti tonight. It's events such as this one organised by Labour in Palestine and, and streamed by Arise, which bring us much closer to understanding much more clearly and much more directly what's happening to the Palestinian people in the current situation, uh, particularly in Gaza, but also in the West Bank, of course. Um, and so I'd like to remind you that organising, advertising and hosting these calls does cost us money and uh, I'd like to remind you also that there are other actions you can take aside from attending this meeting to support the Palestinian people and the vital work of Labour in Palestine. So I just want to make three quick pleas, each of which should also have a number of links posted on uh, for you to click on uh, and hopefully save those and, and take those actions after the, uh, after the call. Um, but firstly, I would ask, could you consider donating to cover the streaming costs if you can afford them at all? Um, they are part of the, the tasks and the cost of putting on this meeting. So if you can make a donation, that would be really appreciated. 
Secondly, we are still collecting names on a petition which is directed at Keir Starmer, the Labour leader, to back calls for an immediate ceasefire. We've obviously seen lots of uh, individual Labour MPs and Labour activists like yourselves taking that action and demanding that ceasefire, but we still need to create pressure on the leadership of the parliamentary party to do the same uh, and take those actions in parliament. And thirdly, please, would you consider lobbying your MP to back an, a parliamentary motion, which has been tabled by uh, one of our supporters, Graham Morris MP. Um, it's focusing on the journalists who are being targeted in, Ga in Gaza and who are being killed. Uh, obviously, they are giving us a vital insight into the scale of violence and destruction the people of Gaza are facing. Uh, we want to raise pressure in Parliament to defend journalists doing that job. So there are three quick asks. Um, I hope you've got some links that are appearing as well uh, on how you can do that. Uh, and thanks for your time. Uh, and I'll hand over because it's, it's not me who you've come to hear this evening. Thanks, Rachel. Thanks, Ben. And it's, it's good to hear that we're not completely powerless in this situation and we can should try and do what we can to um, support what's going on in Palestine. And so, yeah, without further ado, let's let's hear from uh, Mustafa um, about your uh, assessment of what's going on now and what the world should be doing. Thanks. Over to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. And uh, I uh, really appreciate uh, giving me the opportunity. Thank you, Rachel. And thank you, Hugh. Uh, and I want to thank you all for the greater solidarity that you have been engaging in uh, to support the Palestinian people. We were very impressed by the huge demonstrations that were organized in London. I think they are the largest in the world, uh, if we exclude Malaysia, of course, and Yemen. Uh, but uh, these are the largest demonstrations definitely in Europe and in, in the North America. And uh, they mean a lot uh, to us and uh, they really provide a lot of support uh, to the people who are struggling on the ground. And uh, I want to start by describing the situation in Gaza. Uh, I mean, to update you on what's going on, but also I will speak a little bit about the West Bank and then I will speak about what is really needed at this moment, uh, and at this very difficult time. And uh, what can be done, uh, I mean, in other countries and in the world. Uh, we are witnessing in Gaza a continuation of the uh, horrible bombardment uh, by Israeli army, by Israeli planes, airstrikes, as well as the terrible bombardment of artillery. Uh, on average, we are losing 150 to 200 people every day. That is about a Palestinian killed every eight minutes. And uh, it's 103 days since this terrible war was launched against Gaza. Uh, the main problem is that there is no safe place in Gaza today. Uh, they said that people should be evicted from the north to the center, then they bombarded the central areas, then they said they should be evicted to Khan Yunis, now they are bombarding Khan Yunis, and then people should go to Rafah and they are bombarding Rafah. So there is no place that is safe, really. And uh, the outcome is horrifying. I mean, in less than three months, we've lost 29,000 people killed if we count more than 7,000 people under the rubble. That would be around, that would include around 10,000 children killed and more than 8,000 women. But in addition to that, there are 62,000 Palestinians injured, uh, 
in Gaza. And if we count the number of people killed and injured, this constitutes no less than 4% of the total population of Gaza. Had this happened in the United Kingdom, you would be talking about 2,700,000 people killed or injured in less than three months. If it happened in the United States of America, you would be talking about 12 million people killed in, or injured in, in these three months. The amount of destruction on the ground of people's homes, universities, clinics, hospitals, mosques, churches, everything, the amount of destruction exceeds 70% of all structures. Uh, just to compare, during the Second World War, during all the years of the Second World War, only 10% of homes and structures were destroyed in Germany. Uh, so that gives you an idea about how horrible the situation is. Uh, the number of Palestinians killed in, 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 in these three months, proportionally, if it happened in the United States, it would be larger than all the Americans killed in the United States of America uh, in all its wars since the 18th century. So the scale of this terrible Israeli uh, crime is beyond description. 65 tons of explosives have been thrown on Gaza. That is about more than more more than the the explosive power of uh, the two nuclear bombs that were thrown on Nagasaki and Hiroshima in the Second World War. It's about 28, kilometer, uh, 28 kilograms of explosives for each man, woman, and child in Gaza. The educational structure have been horribly destroyed. All universities are damaged and destroyed. Hundreds of schools are finished. And uh, more than 30 hospitals have been affected partially or completely destroyed. Addition, in addition to that, we have lost 303 of our colleagues, doctors, nurses, and health professionals. And 300 others were injured while performing their medical and health duty. Many of the 303 doctors and nurses who were killed were killed inside 104 ambulances that were bombarded. And we have uh, 150 other health professionals arrested by the Israeli army, or kidnapped, I should say. 114 journalists were killed. And it is important to mention here that Israel did not allow a single journalist to enter Gaza from the side of Egypt since the beginning of the war, except for one reporter for CNN who was allowed to get in only for three hours. Why is that? Because they don't want the truth to come out. They don't want journalists to report what's going on. And I must say that, unfortunately, foreign journalists in the West Bank are mainly sitting in Jerusalem. If they come to the West Bank, it's a rare occasion, and they come only for a few hours. Uh, the infrastructure, the, the basic infrastructure in Gaza has been destroyed completely. 
I'm talking about water pipelines, about sewage systems. For the last 48 hours, we have lost all communication with our colleagues in Gaza because of the total block of the telecommunication systems. And because of the destruction of infrastructure and lack of clean water, we have now the beginning of uh, outbreaks of severe infections. We already have cases, uh, a huge number of cases of hepatitis A, which is spreading badly. And we have 400,000 people now suffering from different diseases, 114,000 from respiratory infections, more than 100,000 people from gastroenteric infections, uh, 50,000 people suffering from skin diseases, including scabies and other things that usually we don't have, but because of the crowded areas, the, it is rising. And uh, the problem is that uh, those who live in schools, in UNRWA schools, are sometimes bombarded by Israeli airstrikes, but they feel lucky because many of the 1.5 million people who have been evicted to the to, to southern areas, it's mainly Rafah, they live, people live in the streets. Some have tents, some don't have tents. It's a disaster. And even those who live inside the schools have a horrible situation. For instance, each latrine has to serve 600 people. The sanitary conditions are horrible, especially for women and children. And uh, what is getting to Gaza is very little. I mean, all this talk by Mr. Biden and his administration that they are pressuring Israelis to allow aid in is nothing but nonsense. What they have, what we get is no more than 100 to 150 trucks in the best case scenario. But what Gaza needs now is 1,000 trucks of food, of uh, medical supplies, of electricity, of fuel for, for, for running some of the electricity and of water and, 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 and other and the clothes and other needed material. That's why nine out of 10 people in Gaza today don't eat every day. And uh, we have now 225% uh, of the population of Gaza, let's say 500,000 approximately, people are now starving according to the World Food Program. The malnutrition is beginning to appear among children and women. The situation is especially difficult for 50,000 pregnant women and 64,000 breastfeeding women. Women who are pregnant don't have safe places to give birth. In. We have about, as I told you, more than 60, 62,000 people injured, of whom 6,500 need to be evacuated to get treatment outside Gaza because their treatment is not available there. But up till now, what was allowed to leave, the number of people who were allowed to leave is no more than 650 only. I'm especially concerned with the cases of 10,000 people with cancer who have no treatment whatsoever. We just heard that the French government is interfering and the Qatari government is mediating to provide medications to 40 Israeli hostages. But I don't think anybody is sending medications for the 10,000 patients with cancer 
in Gaza, who are actually hostages, because all the population of Gaza are hostages today, 2.3 million people. On the other hand, I have to say that politically speaking, Israel has failed dramatically and drastically. Regardless of the huge power they have used, and of the fact that British airplanes are helping them, and American uh, American Navy and American Air, Air Force is with them, and 2,000 American soldiers are helping them in addition to a number of high-ranking generals who are advising them, and the unlimited supply of weapons from the West, from United States mainly, but also from Britain, from Germany, from Italy, and from other places. The largest airlift ever in the history of this region was organized to provide these bombs that are killing people in Gaza from the United States to Israel. But regardless of all of that, Israel has failed in achieving any of its four goals. They failed to eradicate resistance in Gaza. It goes on. Even in the places that the Israeli army has invaded in the very beginning of the first days of the ground operation. They failed in imposing their occupation. They are encountering resistance every day, even in the places where the Israeli tanks are located. They failed to bring back any of the hostages or prisoners, except those who were released through exchange of prisoners. And on the contrary, Israelis continue to bombard and continue to kill their own prisoners. And in my opinion, this is the goal of Netanyahu. He doesn't care about the life of any Israeli prisoner or hostage, if you call it so, uh, because he he doesn't want uh, to release the Palestinian prisoners. And he continues this war and continues the very possibility of killing many of these Israeli prisoners. But the most important thing is that the main goal of this uh, military operation was to conduct ethnic cleansing of Gaza. This was the goal of Netanyahu from the very first days, and it was declared openly by him and by Richard Recht, who was his military spokesperson, who said that all Palestinians must be evicted from Gaza to Sinai. They failed. They failed mainly because of the heroic steadfastness of the Palestinian people in Gaza. And I'm so proud of the people who remained in the north and in the Gaza city. We're talking about hundreds of thousands who refused to leave. Most of them had to move from one place to another while Israel was bombarding them. Uh, my colleagues in North Gaza and in the center of Gaza told me they had to, 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 to be evacuated six times up to now from one place to another. And I'm so proud of them because uh, just a few days ago we received, uh, we started receiving videos of their work they revitalized our medical our medical work, providing very basic and important care to people who are suffering from different diseases, to injured people at their homes. Uh, you know, just to give you an example, Palestinian Medical Relief Society has many centers in Gaza. Three of them were erased to the ground. The main center, which provided the most important service for people with diabetes, hypertension, and other chronic diseases in Gaza, 
and which was a referral center for all Gazans, was not attacked by airstrikes, but when the tanks got there, they bombarded it and burned it completely. Burning medications, burning lab material, burning equipment, burning everything. Nevertheless, our guys have found uh, one center that was saved, and they are now providing care to the people of Gaza who, 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 who stayed there and did not leave, and who are in need for everything to, to help them get over many of the diseases there. One of our colleagues, who is a first aid provider, his name is Walid Khalili. Uh, he's, a, he, he's an ambulance driver. I just have to tell you this story because it reveals a lot. He was, uh, he was near our major, major medical center when, uh, and he with another doctor went, went to visit uh, an injured person at home providing treatment to him. And when they got out of the home, the Israeli snipers were already there and they shot the doctor in the abdomen. He fell down. Walid tried to help him, and then another sniper shot the same doctor in the head and killed him. And Walid had to hide because they were shooting people around him. He called us and said that seven people who were with him were shot to death by the sniper, and he asked us to take care of his children if he dies. Luckily, he wasn't killed, but the army saw him and arrested him. And then they took him to this concentration camp near Beersheba, where more than 1,000 Palestinian prisoners from Gaza are kept, including the director of Shifa Hospital, who is being tortured terribly. And this guy told us they were tortured with beating. He came back with broken ribs. They were, they were, they were hanged and, and uh, on, on some kind of a wire structure and hit with electrical shocks. They, they, yeah. they used water, they used, they tried to drown them in water as one form of interrogation and, and, and torture. And uh, they told us that they've seen many of the prisoners die because of the torture. In another case, one of other colleagues told us that when he was imprisoned for, for one week, the Israeli army isolated 16 of the prisoners without trial, without charges, without interrogation, and just executed them in front of all the other prisoners. Unfortunately, these stories are not coming out, and they have to come out because it is very important to tell the world what's going on. In the West Bank, the situation is getting worse every day. Actually, I can tell you for sure that the Israeli army has actually reoccupied West Bank completely now. Of course, we were under occupation, but at least there was uh, some areas like areas A, as they call it, the Palestinian main cities, were under the control of the Palestinian Authority. It's all gone. The Palestinian Authority does not have any security authority anymore. Every city in the West Bank has been invade, invaded re repeatedly. In Ramallah, where I live, and which hosts the headquarters of the Palestinian Authority, it is invaded almost every day if, or every other day. They were here this morning. They were here yesterday. 
they invade, they arrest people, they destroy homes, they do, they shoot people, they can, they do whatever they like. And uh, so far, since the beginning of last year, we have lost more than 540 Palestinians in the West Bank as well. Not to be compared to the number of people killed in Gaza, but nevertheless, 540 people killed, including 80 children. And uh, the Israeli army is everywhere. We have 650 military checkpoints that cut the country into 224 uh, clusters, ghettos, if you like. And uh, these military checkpoints uh, can do anything to people. People are harassed continuously. Uh, every Israeli settler or policeman or, or uh, Israeli army soldier feel they have a license to kill. And that's why many people have been killed. If they suspect that somebody is trying to do something, they don't even ask him. They just shoot. So there is no safety for anybody. Not to talk about the fact that traveling from one place to another in the West Bank is becoming so difficult. Sometimes a trip that usually takes half an hour would take three hours, three and a half hours. And it's not safe at all, mainly also because of the settler uh, terror. And uh, Mr. Bingvir, the Israeli security, internal security minister, has made sure to hand over thousands, tens of thousands of weapons, new weapons to these, uh, to these settlers. Even the general controller in Israel have, uh, have uh, declared that uh, uh, the way this are, the, these arms are distributed is violating the law. But settlers are using their terror against the people. Many of our medical teams are unable to reach many places because of the terror of these settlers. And uh, up to now, 30 Palestinian communities have been evicted through by an act of ethnic cleansing by these Israeli terrorists. While this is happening, the foreign media and many of the Western media outlets, the official ones, continue to dehumanize Palestinians and repeat untrue stories about what has happening, what has happened in, in the 7th of October. And uh, it's a very clear uh, way of dehumanization. First, they dehumanize Hamas, and then they dehumanize all Palestinians uh, to justify all the atrocities that are happening to us. It's a difficult situation, but I can assure you that nothing will break us and nothing will stop the Palestinian people from continuing their struggle for freedom in, West, in the West Bank, in Gaza, and uh, in, in, in 1948 areas and everywhere. Because we have not no other alternative. We have to survive and we have to struggle regardless of what they do to us. But what should be done to stop this terrible crime? Uh, first of all, I must say that continuation of the pressure on your government, on the British government, to support immediate and open and permanent ceasefire. But not only that, but also to stop the military supplies to Israel and uh, the military involvement in this terrible attack against us. And not only against us, now they're attacking Yemen. Uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Biden said he does not want to expand this operation 
but he is provoking a regional war actually by their airstrikes on Yemen, in which uh, United States and Britain are participating. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's awful, although they know very well that the safety of passage during in, in the Red Sea and uh, the safety of all ships can easily be guaranteed if Israel stops its aggression on the Palestinian people in Gaza. We need pressure to achieve ceasefire immediately. That specially is needed in United States and in Britain to enforce an immediate ceasefire because nothing will improve unless we have ceasefire. No humanitarian aid will really help unless we have ceasefire. The killing of people will not stop unless we have ceasefire. Second point, we need more pressure to have humanitarian support and aid to the people uh, so that it can reach those who need it. And I'm talking about everything from food to fuel to medical supplies to medical equipment, everything. The third major goal would be and should be to help the people steadfast to prevent and <clears throat> to prevent ethnic cleansing. I don't think the fact that Israel failed to enforce ethnic cleansing into Egypt does not mean they stopped dreaming about it or working for it. Now they speak about voluntary uh, immigration and uh, expulsion. And, and that's why I think uh, continuing to continue to speak about the risk of ethnic cleansing is very important in the media, but also it is very important that we all together do everything we can to support the life of the people in Gaza so that they won't find themselves in a horrible condition obliged to leave. The fourth point I'm calling for is that Israel must be pressured and it will not be pressured by statements only. That's why I think facilitation of boycott, divestment, sanctions is a very important instrument. Israel must be punished like South African apartheid system was. And it should be punished till its, till its occupation and its system of apartheid and destruction and its terrible war on the people of Gaza. Fifth point, I, I think the ICG case, which they, which is handed over, which, which is now done, uh, presented to the International Court of Justice, the case that South Africa is working on and some other countries are supporting, it's very, very important. And we hope that the court will 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 be uh, will do its duty and uh, not repeat the same terrible mistakes that are done now at the International Criminal Court because of Karim Khan, who is subjecting himself to the manipulation of Israel and the United States. We have great hopes that this might have an impact especially if the court issues an order to Israel uh, under the suspicion of genocide to stop its military operations against Palestinians. Uh, we also want another case in the ICJ, and we demand that uh, it should be actually the Palestinian Authority that should go in that direction, and uh, that is to demand to have a case in the ICJ demanding the compensation for every house that was destroyed in Gaza from Israel. Israel must be deterred by raising this issue. And I'm glad I've spoken about this several times on different media outlets. 
And I and now I hear there is a resonance of that, and, and we hear this demand being repeated by different countries. And I think this should be raised also that Israel must pay for all the destruction they have caused in Gaza. They've done horrible destruction in four previous wars, and nobody asked them to compensate. This time they have to, they have they should be enforced to compensate for all the destruction because it seems this is the only way to deter them from continuing these crimes. I want to conclude here by saying what we face here is not only a problem for Palestine. It's more than that. It's a problem for the world. And the main message that we are that the world is getting from this silence about Israeli crimes in Gaza, about this complicity from the side of the United States of America and Britain and some other countries. It sends the world one message, that there is no international law anymore, that the world is not abiding by international law. And what is prevailing is the law of jungle, which means that anybody who has power can do whatever they like and wherever they like. And, and that is a very dangerous matter for the whole world, because if this is perceived as such, then you could expect horrible things to be happening everywhere in the world. This, the, the Israeli government and Netanyahu and the fascist ministers in his government, and actually his, his whole government is fascist, they are trying to advocate. They are trying to use everything against Palestinian people. They're pushing Islamophobia. They're pushing the ideas of Jewish supremacy, the ideas of white supremacy, and the ideas of racism. Israel is finding itself in bed with the most racist and most fascist groups in the world. And that should be alarming to every Jewish person. As a matter of fact, allow me to say that I think the same mindset in Europe that allowed the Holocaust against Jewish people and allowed the anti-Semitism against Jewish people thinking that they were weak at the time is the same mindset that is allowing this new Holocaust for Palestinians. And it is unacceptable and it should not be allowed. It's like a repetition of the same atrocity that happened against Jewish people and that's why I'm so proud of the fact that so many Jewish people in the United States and in other countries are in the forefront demanding the end of ceasefire, the end of occupation, and the end of apartheid, and the end of this injustice against Palestinian people. And if you ask me, I would say Netanyahu is probably the biggest provocator of anti-Semitism worldwide today. Because by these crimes that he is committing, he's also provoking anti-Semitism. And that should stop. Uh, I think uh, the Palestinian case is the most important case of humanity today, the most important case of freedom and liberation worldwide. And I think what you are doing, standing with the Palestinian people, is, is, is reveals how noble you are, and how faithful you are to the principles of humanity everywhere. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, 
just absolutely horrific and shocking and almost unimaginable what is what is going on in Palestine and I think we never even those of us who follow it closely should never stop being shocked and, and horrified but also thank you for bringing the message of hope and resistance and you know all our solidarity um, uh, for for that resistance and uh, as I said there, there is a number of sort of um, uh, actions in the chat and and uh, some more that have been outlined there so we, we're getting the questions coming in um, we've got over 600 people joining us from um, live um, including from Hull all over London Eastbourne Manchester York Northumberland Edinburgh Newcastle Birmingham Liverpool Brighton Warwick and internationally from Norway Spain and the US so um, I'm so glad that we're all hearing hearing this um, you know what's going on and um, I'm now going to introduce uh, Hugh Lanning from Labour in Palestine to make some comments and then we'll we'll hopefully have time for some questions after that. Over to you, Hugh. Mm. Am I unmuted? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, first, I mean, as Rachel has said, thank you, Mustafa, for uh, um, being with us again. Uh, I always listen and learn from what Mustafa says. He's one of the key uh, spokespersons and strategists, really, for the Palestinians. Uh, and it's great to see and hear he's getting coverage, even though he's treated so badly uh, by Western uh, journalists. And what is amazing, really, is, you know, it's harrowing to hear. Uh, it's inspiring to hear of the resistance, but it's even worse than you think. I mean, the, the stuff that Mustafa was talking about that we've not heard of and the things that are going on that aren't being reported, I think uh, we need to try and shine a light on them and try and get uh, that told even more widely than it is. Uh, but I can't really add to the sort of analysis and things that Mustafa said the world needs to be doing. I just want to be a little bit more uh, focused around what we can be doing in this country and what we can be doing uh, within and around the Labour Party. Uh, and uh, it was an incredible march again on Saturday uh, in London, and the local actions have been brilliant as well. Uh, and for the first time uh, since the war on Gaza began, there was a, a Labour Members for Palestine block on the march this Saturday. Uh, and it was great to see hundreds of Labour Party members uh, banners from councillors and from local CLPs, MPs addressing it. Uh, and we hope that's just the start. Thanks to both Labour and Palestine, Campaign for Labour Party Democracy, Arise, Momentum and others for being involved. But we hope it represents a sort of long overdue willingness of Labour Party members to be identified as supporters of Palestine and as supporters of the ceasefire, which we heard from Mustafa is a crucial first step. Uh, and I think uh, we want to try and continue, continue that. The intention is to try and organise the block again on the next national march, which we're sure uh, will need to take place uh, in February. Uh, and we will put up details uh, so that people can get involved because we need to translate uh, that uh, support on the marches into political organisation. Uh, and we need to make Palestine a ballot box issue. And uh, to quote uh, Desmond Tutu, he said, there comes a point 
uh, where we need to stop just pulling people out of the river. We need to go upstream and find out why they're falling in. Uh, and we know the reason. Uh, we see it on the telly. Uh, but instead, actually, Labour has watched the bodies float by uh, and has actually endorsed Israel's war objectives. And that's what it did in October. It wasn't just uh, a comment. It said to Israel, go ahead, do your worst. We will support you. Uh, and uh, that's what it's doing as well uh, in the Lemon, uh, Yemen. Uh, and effectively, Labour has gone to war on Palestine by its actions and its support. It is not a passive uh, on sitting back. Uh, it is part uh, of the uh, onslaught against the Palestinians. Uh, and I think in doing that, Labour has just completely morally lost the plot. You know, along uh, with uh, the thousands of marchers, hundreds of thousands of marchers uh, on uh, the streets, I think there is a whole generation of people now uh, who are committed to supporting uh, Palestine and have just lost faith uh, in the leadership of the Labour Party and that they're going to do uh, the right thing. And this issue is going to haunt Labour. It's not just going to go when there is a ceasefire, uh, but before, during and after the next election, uh, it will be, even if there is a Labour government, it will be a key issue for so many people. Uh, and one of the things that we need to, I think, pick up and address crucially, which Mustafa referred to, is the question of arms and money. Uh, we've seen... Uh, where the money the West gives to Israel. We support Israel's war economy. We pay for the occupation. We pay uh, for the war that is going on. Uh, and we see every night uh, what that money and that aid is doing. It's going to kill Palestinians. And whether or not uh, the ICG, ICJ uh, agrees that it's genocide, uh, the reality is that Israel is in the process of trying to literally demolish any serious prospect of a Palestinian state. So looking at what Labour needs to commit to, it needs to be moving towards committing to the sorts of global pressure on Israel that will make it comply with international law. Uh, and that's not going to be easy. You know, it's a huge uh, task to move from where Israel is uh, to some sort of uh, reality and normality. But Netanyahu actually... Uh, has given us the clue. When he said he wanted three things from the Biden administration, munitions, 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 uh, that tells us what we need to do. Uh, as they were with South Africa, it's going to be sanctions that are going to be the key. And Labour needs to call for a full and total and immediate arms embargo. Uh, and it needs uh, to, if you like, look beyond uh, what a ceasefire uh, will mean and looking to how we can create the conditions uh, for peace. Uh, and that is far more uh, than just a pause uh, or a bit of humanitarian aid. They are important, but they will not be enough. Uh, and seeing Labour wrote back from its commitment for immediate recognition uh, is uh, something that we need to be challenging. And also we need commitments about them repealing uh, the Tories' anti-boycott bill if it does become law. Uh, but I think that a ceasefire, when it does come, and hopefully it will not be long, 
uh, we should only be thinking of as the beginning uh, of the process. And if we are going to genuinely establish uh, the conditions for peace, we've heard from Mustafa that the occupation is uh, not only there, uh, but it is uh, getting worse uh, and being strengthened. And therefore, peace is going to mean dismantling all of the Israeli war apparatus uh, that uh, exists, the apartheid regime uh, that exists from Gaza to Jericho. It means bringing down the wall, the checkpoints, dismantling uh, the settlements and removing the settlers, uh, get, getting the troops out of the occupied areas, and it means ending completely the illegal military occupation. That is a huge uh, agenda, uh, but it needs to be the one that we take up and that we fight for. Uh, so Palestine actually needs a Labour bloc, not just on marches, uh, but uh, at every level inside and outside the Labour Party, making sure that the Palestinian voice is heard. As a democratic party, we cannot, as a Labour Party, be deaf uh, to the cause for justice. Uh, and we need to be on the side of the cause for justice. Uh, we will come to regret, as a political organisation, if we do ignore the cause of the hundreds of thousands of Labour Party supporters who are uniting in action for a ceasefire now and for a free Palestine. The airstrikes on Yemen and the continued support for Israel exposes the party. We need not to just march and protest, we need to organise. Take part in the local events this Saturday, but get involved in your local organisations. Join the bloc on the next march, but more than anything, commit that you are going to be involved in the long campaign of solidarity to ensure there's going to be a free Palestine. Thank you. Thanks, you. Um, and I'm just going to move straight on to the questions so that we have as much um, time for Mustafa to answer them as possible. Um, so the, the first one is from Hillary on Zoom. If the ICJ rules against Israel, what do you think the next step should be? I'm going to read out a few. I hope that's, that's all right um, to take them that way. Um, why are the, the US and UK not voting for a ceasefire and still providing weapons? Um, from Fraser on Facebook, um, students in higher and further education are increasingly being targeted by the government and universities, including some students' unions facing legal challenges for supporting the global boycott divestment sanctions movement. What more can be done to, to build the, the global BDS movement? And I think that's that's something we all you know, want to know what more we can do to, to promote it. Um, uh, from Ali on Zoom, do you think that the Palestinian leadership has seen through Israel's divide and conquer technique and what are the prospects for a genuine united Palestinian leadership and new elections? That's quite a big question as well. Um, and, and finally, um, can you comment more on the imminent threats of famine and the spread of disease in Gaza, as well as Israel's use of starvation as a weapon? of war according to human rights watch and something that you know we all totally horrified by daily the the stories coming out um so sorry that's quite quite a lot in one go but um people really want to you know know what's going on and what what more we can do to support so i'll, I'll hand back to mustafa now thank you thank you so much uh, 
Why the United States and the UK continue to refuse ceasefire? Well, uh, I think you know better than me why UK is not uh, supporting ceasefire, but uh, I, I, I think they think of Israel as a protector of their strategic imperialist interest in the region. And uh, the, there is a very powerful Israeli lobby in the United States in particular, which plays a role, but it's not the only factor. Uh, the main factor is, in my opinion, is that uh, some people in this world are benefiting from this war economically. And uh, I think the military industrial complex, especially in the United States, but it has become a network that is spread everywhere in the world, is making billions of dollars out of these wars, whether the one in Ukraine or this one here, or um, even in the United States, it's the best way of moving taxpayers' money from people's pockets to the pockets of these large capitalists who are who are making a lot of money through, through manufacturing weapons and 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 giving weapons but it's more than that it's not just the fact that they see israel as a base for their uh, interest and it's more than that because they are making a lot of profit it's more than that it's in my opinion uh, about uh, this lack of respect to people as equal human beings lack of respect to the lives of, of the ordinary people worldwide, not just in Palestine. And uh, this mentality, racist mentality, is feeding this kind of behavior. Uh, otherwise, why, why, why would anybody want to allow this war to continue for more than 103 days with this terrible slaughter of children and... and, and, and uh, civilian people uh, it's uh, it's based on strategic interests but also it's based about on this terrible racism that we see and we which you can also see in, in media outlets but i would also say that the united states of america and uh, even the uk would not have dared to take uh, these positions if we had a stronger stronger, progressive, democratic voice that uh, is building up, by the way. It's building up, and uh, it will it will uh, have a very important effect. But the fact that they think they can, that they can get away with such, such positions is definitely an important factor. And in the case of the United States, I, I, I think now, I, I used to think that Biden now would realize that he's going to lose elections because of his positions, he's losing his popularity in the United States, and maybe this will make him change. But it seems now that his election is not the most important thing for this crowd that is governing in, in the United States of America. Otherwise, why they, would they go and widen this attack on Yemen and on other places? Anyhow, uh, it's not unusual and it's not new. But in my opinion, the main factor, the two main factors will, which will force eventually the United States and the United Kingdom to change their positions, the two main forces are the Palestinian 
resilience, resistance, and steadfastness. The fact that they are unable to achieve the goals of this war and the goals of this attack. This is the main factor which will change the situation. The second main factor is what you do. This huge popular uprising worldwide, and I would even call it, a, it's, it's a huge world revolution that is happening everywhere in the world. We've seen what happened on the 13th of January with the marches and demonstrations taking place in more than 60 countries. That is a factor that will affect definitely the situation and change it. Now, on the second question about ICJ, what could be done? Uh, I believe that I, if, if ICJ comes to the conclusion and gives an order to Israel to end this war, and if it doesn't, this will provide the very important base for widening sanctions against Israel. It will provide the moral, the legal, and the political justification for a wide action of, of, uh, of, of boycott, divestment, and sanctions against this entity that is not only violating international law in every aspect, but also that is violating the ICJ resolution. So we, we, event, we, we have to spread this culture of sanctioning Israel uh, and Israeli establishment regardless of all the pressure that we are facing from other sides, uh, including the law that they are trying to pass in your parliament, uh, it's very important to widen the, the, and spread the idea because I think this would be a very important deterring factor for Israel and for those who support Israel. Uh, there was a question about uh, whether the Palestinian Authority realizes the risk of the uh, policy of Israel of divide and conquer. Uh, I think everybody realizes that Israel is using this uh, approach, this typical historical colonial approach of divide and conquer. But I'm not sure that the Palestinian Authority has made sufficient conclusions from that yet. If they, uh, and, and that's, 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 something that we feel sorry about. Uh, I think what Israel is trying to do now, and the United States of America and many Western governments, speaking about the next day, uh, I'm sure you've been following that in so many media outlets. Why do they speak about the second day, the next day? Because they don't want to talk about today. They don't want to talk about what's happening today. They don't, they want to hide away the realities of these crimes that are taking place in Gaza and in the West Bank. And, uh, but, but in addition to that, they have their plans, and the Israeli plan is clear. They think they can reoccupy Gaza and then impose some sort of a collaborating structure, a bunch of collaborators that work for Israeli occupation, like they did in South Lebanon at one point of time. And uh, we, you also hear something about technocratic government that could be made from people who could listen to dictation that comes from the United States or from some other countries. Uh, and, and they are mentioning maybe some names sometimes of, of people we had very bad experience with when they were governing in Palestine. But in addition to that, uh, they are talking about uh, the possibility of uh, of uh, 
what they call reforming or renewal of the Palestinian Authority. When we checked what uh, Mr. Blinken means by that, we found out that he means that there should be more securitization of the securitized Palestinian Authority. It's not enough that the Palestinian Authority's security structure is consuming 40% of our budget, uh, but, but they want to make it even stronger and larger. And for what? A security structure that does not is not able to protect a single Palestinian from any settler terror or any settler terrorist. And a structure that cannot protect us from the occupiers. And I said that many times, this whole paradigm that was brought with Oslo Agreement, that people under occupation should provide protection to their occupiers without being able to protect themselves from the same occupiers, is a terrible paradigm, and it's wrong. No, reform of the Palestinian Authority is not to securitize it more. Reform means democratic elections. I think they speak about democratic elections in other countries, in Serbia and Ukraine and other places, but not in Palestine. And that's why what we are proposing, uh, internally speaking, given all the complexities that we have now in Gaza and in the West Bank, we are now under full occupation in West Bank and in Gaza. What we need is unified Palestinian leadership that includes all Palestinian political forces without exception. And that unified leadership should, should build the strategy of confronting this terrible injustice we are subjected to and block, block the efforts of divide and conquer that the Israelis and the United States are trying to, to conduct. I know unified national leadership could produce an interim unified national unity government. And I say interim because it should not be for long, because it ha their, its main goal will be besides rebuilding Gaza and the survival of the people in Gaza, will be to maintain the unity between West Bank and Gaza and not allow separating Gaza from the rest of the Palestinian territories. And its second main goal should be the preparation for free democratic elections for Palestinians. The Palestinian people have the right to elect their leaders democratically and freely. And I will repeat what I said several times. If we had elections in 2021, if people were allowed to conduct their democratic rights, I am sure we would not be in this world today. And, 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 and I am saying now that what we need is interim government to prepare for free democratic elections and to block any way uh, block anybody who is trying to impose on us uh, by force a strange leadership to that is not elected by the Palestinian people. I think this is the right way, and this is the right uh, should be the right goal. Uh, about famine, yes, it's a very serious problem, and uh, especially for children, and and that's why uh, there is a lot of efforts to try to find ways to bring in support. The problem is that the passage from Rafah to Gaza is uh, quite complicated. And uh, I must say also, besides Israeli obstruction, there are a lot of other bureaucratic obstructions. That's why I went specially to Jordan, and I negotiated with the Jordanians about the possibility of having an alternative line or additional line of supplies and support from Jordan. And uh, it is starting to work. 
and that is encouraging. And we are now planning to raise the support and funds to uh, to buy products uh, in Jordan, including medical supplies and especially certain medicines that are lacking, like antibiotics and insulin for children and so on, and to move them from through Jordan uh, with the help of the Jordanian Commission that is in charge of that to get them to Gaza. We are uh, working on that, and if, if, if anybody is interested, we can give you the details of that. But basically, you can go to the website of Palestinian Medical Relief Society. It's called pmrs.ps, pmrs.ps. You can open it, and you can find ways of, uh, of supporting if you are interested. Uh, the, the most important thing now is to help people survive through two means immediate ceasefire because it doesn't make sense that you feed somebody so that he will be killed next morning by an Israeli airstrike. So ceasefire and then provision of supplies to the people. I don't know if I answered all the questions. Oh, yes, there was another question about one state, two states. Well, we, we've spoken about that in previous sessions before, uh, and I wrote a a whole article about this in The Guardian on the 15th of May last year, where I said that Israel killed the two-states option with its settlement activities. Nevertheless, those who speak about two-state solution, if they are really serious, they should tell us why they are allowing Israel to continue to build settlements. I think to keep talking about two states and doing nothing is nothing but hypocrisy. And, uh, and, and to speak about a Palestinian state without uh, sanctioning Israel for building settlements is also hypocrisy. But the message is clear. We heard it yesterday from Sullivan, the, uh, the, security, the national security advisor to Mr. Biden. He said that the goals of the future are three things. The first thing is, uh, uh, as he said, uh, uh, is uh, security for Israel uh, and uh, uh, then uh, I forgot what was the second point but the third point was uh, Palestinian state uh, but the way he he, he, he put the, 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 the this schedule is very indicating because it's very indicative because it means that the idea of a Palestinian state is not is just lip service. And uh, that's why I believe the reality of today is, is very simple. We have now the number of Palestinians on the land of historic Palestine is equal, if not a little bit more than the Israeli Jewish people. Israel knows that. The solution to this situation is one of three things. Either two-state solution, which would mean and should mean immediate, immediate, re, re, immediate removal of all settlers from the West Bank. Without that, there will be no two-state solution. If they want, let them remove the settlers and then allow Palestinians to have a state of their own on 67 borders. The, they don't want that. Then the second option is one democratic state, which I believe in, and I think it would be the best solution. One democratic state for with, with equal rights for everybody. They also don't want that. So what is the third option? 
The only third option available is ethnic cleansing. And that's exactly what Israel is doing now, or trying to do and failing to do. So I can't know, I can't, I can't say what will be eventually the solution. I know one thing, that no solution will be allowed without the freedom and dignity of the Palestinian people, like every other people in this world. We will never accept anything less than that. Full freedom, full equality, and full dignity, like everybody else. Thank you. Thank you so much. What an important note to, to end on. And thanks, thanks to Mr. Fur, to Hugh, and to all of you coming and for all your questions. And I'm sorry, there were so many brilliant questions and important questions and couldn't take them all. But uh, I think, thank you for answering so many of them. And um, thank you to Labour and Palestine for organising. And as, as Labour movement activists who stand with the, the Palestinian people internationally, our job here is to, to raise awareness, to take what we've heard today and tell our all our networks about it, um, to speak up in solidarity, to support our left MPs, you know, the Labour left MPs who are still the strongest voice in Parliament speaking out, um, to expose the hypocrisy and lack of moral compass of our parliamentary leadership in the Labour Party, to to bring to bear the views of the majority of Labour Party members, I think, for those of us who are still in the Labour Party, which is for, for peace and justice in Palestine, and for all of us to take the actions detailed in the chat and many more besides um, to support the um, boycott, divestment and sanctions, to support the case in the, the ICJ and keep, keep going and be inspired by the resistance um, that the Palestinians show. And thank you and solidarity.